Well, good morning, and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. If we haven't met before, my name is Duncan. I have the privilege of serving as pastor of the church here, and I'm part of the, the leadership team here, and I want to extend a very warm welcome to you, especially um, if this isn't the place you would normally be at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you're very welcome here. So we're going to come to our um, Bible reading now, and um, uh, we're going to be encountering a character in the Bible that our junior church have already spent some time thinking about a couple of weeks ago. Um, so we'll see just how well everybody listens to these things. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you were learning a lesson about a prophet in the Old Testament. Can, can, can anyone tell me what his name was? Okay, let me give you a... Oh, 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 okay, yes. Elisha. Elisha, thank you, that is right. Um, I was going to take a little survey. Do you prefer to call him Elisha or Elisha? So hands up for Elisha. Hands up for Elisha. Okay, the Elishas have it. The Elishas have it. Um, so Ian's going to come and do our reading, and it's Elisha, okay? <laughs> Ian's going to come and read the first part of our story today. Thank you. So the reading is from 2 Kings, chapter 6, verses 8 to 17. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. I was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This, this part of the Bible that we're reading from today is, is right in the middle of, of the life of of this strange 
man, Elisha. Um, in his role as prophet, God did some remarkable, amazing, unbelievable signs. And if you were to read through his life, I think you could count up 17 miracles that were done through Elisha. And in fact, even after Elisha had died, his dead body was counted as being part of one miracle. You can go and read that for yourself. The Bible tells us that throughout the history of God's people, God spoke to them in various ways and at different times through the prophets. In various ways at different times through the prophets. And the reason why God spoke to his people through the prophets is because he wanted his people to know him. He wanted them to know what he was like. He wanted them to know about the kind of commitment he'd made to them. And so for Elisha, regardless of all the miracles, this was his basic job. And in fact, through those miracles, he was teaching God's people what God is like. And so here in this story that Ian's read for us, we see some very important things about God, things that if God's people grasp, it will change their whole life. Um, I hope you picked up on the story. Israel is being attacked. The king of Syria wants to attack them. And the king of Syria, he's trying to be very clever. He tries to set these traps so that he can catch out the Israelites but time and time again, the Israelites manage to dodge these traps that have been set. And the king starts to think, now this is more than a coincidence. Once they could be lucky, twice maybe. But they keep avoiding our traps. There must be a traitor in the ranks. But his servants know better. They say, oh no, there's no traitor. You know the problem? It's that prophet Elisha. He seems to have so much knowledge that he could even tell them what you say in your bedroom when the doors are closed. Elisha the prophet is the one who is keeping God's people safe as God reveals to him the plans of the Syrians. Well, the king of Syria, um, he's a very clear thinker. He says, well, I know what we need to do. Let's just get a hold of Elisha. Let's seize him, take him out of the way, and then we'll be able to do whatever we want so he gathers together his army, he finds out where Elisha is, and he surrounds the city with a great army. Well, in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up, goes out for his morning stroll, and oh boy, armies everywhere to be seen. So he runs back to the prophet and he says, Master, what are we going to do? We're completely surrounded and outnumbered. What are we going to do? And here's the thing that's hard to believe, isn't it? Elisha, a whole army has come to get him, and he is the calmest man in the city. How can he do that? How can he be so confident? Well, here's what's going on. Let me, let me use some pictures to show you this. Alan's going to help us here. Um, what do you think is going on in this first picture? Anyone, what do you think is going on here? Yes. That's right. There's a big boy here who's picking on a little boy. You're right. Now, why, why does the big boy think he can get away with picking on the other boy? Why do you think he, he thinks he can get away with that? Yeah. Because he's older and he's bigger and what's this little guy going to do? 
But the problem is the bully can't see the whole picture. Next up. Because coming around the corner is the little guy's dad and their very friendly looking dog. The bully is not in as strong a position as he thinks. And we, we come across these things all the time. Let's see the next one. Thanks. Okay, so who, who, do, we have, who do we have on here? Any, any takers? Yes? Elsa? That's the one on the right, folks. Anyone else? Do you know who else we've got here? Yes. In the... The guards, yes. And I think that little guy in the middle is the Duke of Weaselton. Um, now, here's the thing. So we have these strong guards on the left being told what to do by the Duke of Weaselton, and they have to go and seize Queen Elsa. And she's just a wee thing, isn't she? I mean, she's got no chance. But there's something we can't see, isn't there? Next slide. She can do this kind of stuff. And so they've got no chance of capturing her. All right, let's try another one. Okay, so here we go. The, uh, the age-old debate. Who would win a fight between Batman and Superman? Yes, sir. Batman, you're way off. <laughs> well, let's, 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 let's be fair about this. So who thinks Batman would win? Hands up for Batman. Oh, dear I, okay. Hands up for Superman? Yeah, yeah. Because you see, the thing is, I realize that Batman is, is well equipped here. He's got his armor on. He looks very strong. I mean, Superman's just dressed in lycra. Who's going to back that guy? But there's something we can't see. Batman's just a guy. He's just a human being. Superman is from another planet. You know, he can shoot lasers out of his eyes. He can, he can blow things cold. He can travel faster than a speeding bullet. You know, he's got all of that behind him. Superman wins all the time. He doesn't look the strongest here, but he is. One more, just for the older folks. Right. Uh, does anyone know who these two people are? Okay, you can have another chance at the back there. Popeye. And who's the other guy? Do we remember his name? Anyone remember his name? Bluto. Bluto. Now, Bluto is a bigger guy, and he's always very confident that he can steal olive oil away. And, and Popeye's just a, well, he's just a sailor, isn't he? How is it that Popeye is able to win this fight every time? Yes, sir. Because he eats spinach. And there you go. This is why it always ends up, because there's something that we can't see. He has superpowers that come from eating spinach. So maybe you want to try having that with your lunch today and see what happens. You see, there are things that we don't always see. And if we knew what those things were, we would maybe see the world differently. And here's what we learn in this story today. God's people see with more than just their eyes. God's people see things with more than just their eyes. And this is what Elisha, Elisha, this is what Elisha understands, the thing that his servant cannot see. He says, do not be afraid because those who are with us 
are more than those who are with them. And he prays that God would open his servant's eyes. And what happens in verse 17? The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha knew that nobody, not even the king of Syria, ever outguns God. Nobody. He knew that no army could ever outnumber God, because here, unseen, is an army that God has deployed ready for action. It teaches us that nothing could happen to God's prophet, nothing could happen to God's people unless God allowed it to happen. He has all power, and he has an army of angels at his command. Now, you know, this reminds me of something that Jesus said on the night before he was crucified. He was praying in the garden, and this mob come to seize him, to take him captive. And one of his disciples pulls out his sword and starts swinging because he thinks this is the way to protect Jesus. But Jesus says, put your sword back into its place. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? You see, Jesus' disciple was only looking with his eyes. He was forgetting that Jesus is God and that no harm could come to Jesus unless he allowed it to happen. And this is the amazing message that unlike the rescue that Elisha had, uh, which we'll, we'll read in a moment, Jesus submitted to be seized so that he would die on the cross to be our Savior. But this is helpful for us as well. It can be very hard to remember that there is more going on in the world than just what we see with our eyes. The Bible says Jesus is the maker of everything, things visible and invisible. And what is invisible to us is the details of God's plans for our lives. We might go through a difficult time at work or at school or in our family or in our health, and we easily wonder, what is God doing? But God has given us His Word so that we might see with more than just our eyes, to see that even when the worst happens, God promises for all those who belong to Jesus that we can know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purposes. It might seem like the Syrian army has besieged you today, but we're encouraged to look and see that in fact the mountains are full of God's armies and that therefore there is nothing that can happen to you that God is not in control of. He's promised that to you if you belong to Jesus. Though God spoke to his ancient people in all sorts of strange ways, the Bible says God has spoken to us in these last days through his son, Jesus Christ. And that means seeing with more than just our eyes. 
Peter wrote, though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You know, the Lord has promised to save all those who love Jesus. That's his promise to you. Even if you go through a siege by the Syrian army, and even if your plans don't work out, this will not change. Your soul will be safe with Jesus forever. Um, Because that's not the end of the story. Uh, Elisha sees these uh, armies all around the mountain. But what does he do next? 2 Kings 6, verse 18. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, this is not the city, follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword, with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away And they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Well, having seen all the Lord's armies, it's interesting to me that actually they're not deployed, at least not in the traditional sense. There's not some great war breaks out. Instead, Elisha prays. You see that in verse 18, that the army that is now moving to take him should be struck by blindness. God has a very profound habit of hearing and answering Elisha's prayers. So the army is struck blind, and then Elisha tricks them. He says, oh boys, you've come to the wrong city. I know where you need to be. I know the man you're looking for. Follow me. And I suppose the army's all been struck blind. What else are they going to do? Where else are they going to go? So they follow Elisha and he takes them to Samaria, which is the capital city of Israel. And when Elisha prays, Lord, open their eyes, can you imagine the panic? There they are, trapped right in the heart of enemy territory, the king of Israel looking over them saying, what should I do? Because what logically happens next is, well, they should be destroyed. You get your enemy in that kind of position, an enemy who's been intent on causing you harm. Elisha has delivered the enemy right onto the king of Israel's doorstep. But what Elisha says next is amazing. 
especially when you remember that this army had come to kill Elisha. But Elisha says, don't harm them. Look at verse 22. Instead, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And that's what they did. And verse 23 closes by telling us that the Assyrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Remember, Elisha is there to reveal to God's people what God is like. So, what is he revealing about what his God is like in doing this? It's interesting that this period of calm with Syria, it only lasted a short while. They did stop doing the raids, but there was more trouble to come. They were going to come back. You read on. They come back. They cause some real harm. So, why would God show them this mercy? Well, because this is what God is like. Here we see that God is patient with His enemies. And in fact, we're going to see even more than that. God is patient with His enemies, even with you. And I say this because this isn't the first time that the Syrians have cropped up in the time of Elisha. In junior church, you were remembering about um, another of Elisha's miracles where the commander of the Syrian army had been struck down with leprosy. And an Israelite girl who'd been taken captive into Syria, she said, oh, I know a man who could help you. Back in Israel, there's a man of God, Elisha. And so Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, came followed Elisha's instructions, washed in the river Jordan, and his body was healed. The Syrian commander would go back to Syria with an appreciation of what God was like. And here in our story today, this Syrian army have experienced the power of God, but they've also experienced the grace and the mercy of God. This is God's patience with the Syrians. God is repeatedly giving them an opportunity to know Him, to respond to Him, and He does it more than once. And the tragedy is, as the story unfolds, the nation of Syria wasn't changed despite those opportunities. This is the repeated message of the Bible of what God is like. The Lord is gracious and compassionate he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. And it's not just showing those things to friends. It's showing these things to his enemies, that they would become his friends. We see this in Jesus, the one with 12 legions of angels at his disposal, when suffering when being taunted on the cross, he would pray, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And that is a patience that is ongoing, believe it or not. For Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, and he awaits the day when he will return to judge the earth. And that's been a long time coming. And even in Bible times, people were frustrated that maybe 30 years had passed and Jesus hasn't come back. And so they would ask these questions, well, what's the problem? Is it because God is slow in keeping His promises? And here's how Peter answered that question. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, 
but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And surely that's what Elisha is saying in his day. God is patient with his enemies. Why? Well, surely that they might have opportunity to repent and turn to him. And God is patient with you and with me as well. But that patience that God displays is only worth something if we respond to his patience. God has given us his son. This is more than giving bread and water to captives. This is giving the most precious thing of all for his enemies. He gave his son to be mistreated, to be killed, to suffer the things that people like you and me deserve so that all who come to him in faith, believing, trusting, will be forgiven, will receive the salvation of their souls. And the certainty of that is in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what about you? How many demonstrations of God's mercy and grace have you had? Let me offer one to you. You're still here. You're still living and breathing. You're still listening and thinking. What a mercy that is that God gives us, as we were singing earlier, each new day. But that day that he gives is a fresh demonstration of his grace and his mercy. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Have you trusted him? Are you ready for him to come? Here we are hearing the gospel again about a Savior given for sinners like us. Will we keep on delaying? Will I test God's patience some more? Maybe you're here today and you feel that is what you've been doing. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've heard this message multiple times and kept putting it off. Don't presume on God's patience. His patience is there so that you would come to Him, not so that you wouldn't. Maybe you're a Christian here today and you feel you've been doing the same thing. This wonderful Savior who's been given and how easy it is for me to take Him for granted. How easy it is for me to be so much more serious about a whole lot of other things than about Him. Well, God's mercy is that we're here, hearing from Him today. And in His patience, He says, come to me again. The time to respond to God is now. For He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Let me pray for us. Let me take a moment to pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are a God who is all of those things, full of grace, full of compassion, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And we thank you that that is most clearly seen in the glorious person of Jesus, who laid down his life, not for his friends, but for his enemies. We thank you, Father, that the way to be saved from our sins is open to all who will come. And we pray that there would be none here today who would presume upon your patience any longer, but that we would all get serious.
with Jesus Christ. Our Father, we want to take time to pray for our world. It really devastates us to see the harm that human beings are ready to inflict on each other. Lord, this is not how the world should be. There are wars raging. There are natural disasters. All of these things destroying whole families at a time. Lord, there are, there are not enough tears that we could shed. And we confess, Father, we don't fully understand why these things are so. And we ask you to help us. Thank you for the reminder today that the Lord of the heavenly armies, for him there is nothing outside of his control. And so we ask you, Lord, to bring peace, bring protection, bring relief. And we pray that you would bring in the day when all these things will be gone forever. That day when you will dwell with your people in perfect peace and joy. We pray for our nation at this time. At this time. We pray for this campaign to appoint a new first minister in Scotland. And we want to thank you that in the midst of that campaign, we thank you for the clear witness of Kate Forbes. And we pray that you would strengthen her to remain faithful to Jesus Christ in all things and shield her father from the, the hatred being poured out upon her. And we pray for our church family here. We pray that you would make us into the sort of people you've called us to be, people who love Jesus and who love others and want to tell them about Jesus. For those in our church family who are struggling right now, we pray you'd be very near. Lord, you know. You know those who are discouraged, those who are disillusioned, those who are in despair. You know who are sick, the anxious, the tired, and we pray that you would be near to each one. Strengthen them today. Strengthen them with the promises that come to them in Christ and help us as their brothers and sisters to gather around them and point them to the strength that is in Jesus Christ. We thank you for our Savior. May he be Lord of all that we do and say this week. In his name we ask. Amen.